Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. Hey, how what? you feeling today, Zach? Because I'm feeling a little sinister. Are you feeling sinister? Because I'm feeling a little sinister. <laughs> I am, and uh, I think we should talk about Mr. Sinister, one of my favorite X-Men villains, uh, for the whole episode. What do you think? I think that uh, someone named Trent went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, threw some money our way, and said, hey, uh, talk about Mr. Sinister. I don't care what stories. Just talk about Mr. Sinister. And I said, fine, if I have to. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, the one with the cape. Oh, he's got to have a cape. He needs that cape. Uh, he loves that cape. He just loves yeah. that cape. <laughs> Uh, I think we picked some good ones, though. This this is a nice variety of Sinister stuff here. Yeah, because uh, here's the thing, Adam. Sinister's not a man. Sinister's a system. Everything. Yes. Everything is Sinister. <laughs> or it could be. It, theoretically, anything could be Sinister. It all could be. The world could be Sinister. Um, you and I, we, you and I could uh, be Sinisters. That's true. I never really thought about it that way. Have and, you and we've checked your forehead to... recently? Oh, uh, I mean, I guess sometimes, uh, you know, feel like I'm breaking out, but I don't think I've got a giant red diamond. What about you? I mean, look, I, I don't I do not know if I have been marked uh, by <laughs> by the Mr. Sinister on my right hand or my forehead. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what happens here. I'll keep keep running with this. <laughs> Well, we have encountered the the idea of Sinister as a system before um, via the the AVX crossover that we've reviewed before. Um, And I believe, you know, obviously we've covered Inferno, but uh, this is going to give us a chance to give Sinister a little more depth here, right? This is because the first story we're going to be talking about is from Uncanny X-Men, volume two, numbers one through three. Everything is Sinister. Uh, This is written by Kieran Gillen. Uh, art duties are primarily uh, under the pencils of Carlos Pacheco, but he gets some extra help here from Jorge Molina, uh, Rodney Buscemi, and the incomparable Paco Diaz. Yeah, and it, it I mean, the style seems pretty straightforward throughout. Like, I, I don't feel thrown off when the art changes by any means. It is interesting that in 2011, they decided, let's relaunch uncanny x-men for the first time ever and they could not they could not get a consistent artist for the first three issues they (laughs) they had to get fill-ins that is pretty wild i mean you would think that there would be enough advance notice that they could have uh you know gotten somebody to do the three issues maybe six months in advance i don't know that's usually how it works we're spoiled at this point of uh, this is as we're recording this in the middle of November 2019, uh, which means we've been on the consistent art rush of Hox, Pox, and Docs, uh, where everything was planned out over a year in advance. <laughs> they put a lot of effort into it. 
Uh, this was not that. This is interesting, though. I've said before on the podcast, and I want to reiterate here, this is really what got me into reading Monthly X-Men. I saw that Uncanny X-Men was restarting, and I said, I'm pretty sure that's the good X-Men. That's the main X-Men, right? I should read that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is actually a pretty solid uh, place to jump in. We have a really great lineup here with the Extinction team. Um, where almost the entire team is some kind of maybe previous villain for the most part. Well, Storm, uh, who is pretty much the most unambiguously good person on the team, uh, does point <laughs> that out in a very killer scene uh, where she says, everyone around the table who has not had a period in their history that could be largely characterized as supervillain, please raise your hand. She raises her hand. Hope Summers raises her hand, and Scott raises her hand, while Storm sides-eyes him real hard and said, Scott, <laughs> should yeah, your maybe, hand be up? Yeah, maybe put your hand down. Um, but uh, there's some really novel things going on here. We, we've got uh, Namor in the lineup. Um, we've, we've, got, we've still got Juggernaut. Um, Colossus here, which is kind of fun. Yeah, this is and, the first uh, uh, real story after that. Yeah, and and we've got a celestial parked outside um, headquarters, which is really interesting too. Yeah, you're talking about the dreaming celestial. Yeah, he's uh, he's catching forty winks and just chilling. You're talking about Tiamat, the dreaming celestial uh, that uh, was once uh, you know the communicator. Uh, he was he was called down by the deviants, uh, called ready to call the horde to harvest the planet. However, Urshram, the judge, had that order canceled and had many of the deviants called. Are you talking about that dreaming celestial? I am. And uh, this is the same celestial that our good friend Mr. Sinister decides to kind of hack and uh, steal his forehead, <laughs> steal his his, uh, his head and basically just take over the coastline. Yeah, because uh, Mr. Sinister... Uh, has decided that maybe mutants, maybe mutants aren't the best thing. Maybe Sinister's the best thing. Maybe instead <laughs> of uh, doing geneticist stuff to figure out what makes mutants tick, maybe he should just make the entire world him. And he loves that plan. <laughs> oh, it's a great uh, example of his fun narcissism. And uh, we are greeted by basically a town's worth of sinisters, all, I guess, in the service of a singular sinister who is then later replaced by another sinister. Uh, it, it's, it's a really fun concept. Because it's not a hive mind, but it's kind of a hive mind. Like, there's, there's still a sinister right it, it i don't know it's an interesting approach like they are literally a system in that you know you can't destroy them because if you destroy one there's a another to replace it um but it, it i don't know it sets up this really interesting idea that there could be a hierarchy based on a single person um you know it's like maybe what multiple man could aspire to i don't know <laughs> yeah it's it's a very interesting idea, and I love this idea because Gillen gives a flair to Sinister here, uh, makes him a little campier, mm -hmm. Definitely. a little a little more willing to laugh at the fact that look, Mister Sinister's a ridiculous villain. He looks like a child's idea of what the worst bad guy in the world could be. 
He looks like a vampire who got a flat top and decided that he wasn't edgy enough, so he went to Hot Topic and cut up all of the shirts. <laughs> well, and here he is not in his uh, his classic shredded cape look. Um, we get no, a, he got a, into a, steampunk. <laughs> definitely, yes. We get a much more streamlined uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, 19th century British look. Um, and feel to to what he wants to surround himself with and what he wants his appearance to be. And uh, it's great. I mean, there's a lot happening in these three issues. Yeah, the team is a lot of fun. Uh, Gillen does a good job giving a spotlight to all these characters, giving them something to do. You know what danger is about after reading this issue. You mm-hmm. get what Hope Summers is doing. You understand emma's interesting relationship here it's there's a lot of really cool stuff powers are used in interesting ways the dialogue is as snappy as kieran gillen is known for i think there's a lot to love here it sets up a new status quo for the x-men that unfortunately didn't last but 10 issues because avengers versus x-men was a thing that was extant uh but yeah it's unfortunate because he he really does have a really good handle on this team um and the interactions are really strong and it's not just the the dialogue the like you said they they combine their powers in interesting ways they strategize in smart ways it's it's fun a lot of people i've heard will count Kieran Gillen as one of their their favorite x-men writers i don't necessarily put myself in that camp even though i really do like a lot of gillen's run mhm I think Gillen probably had the most untapped potential out of any X-Men writer. He got a chance, but he was shoestrung between Fear Itself and then Schism and then AVX. <sighs> yeah, that seems to be a recurring theme of late, and it will come up again in the show. But this this event-driven uh, publishing schedule really does seem to limit some of our more talented writers here. And it's it's not like Kieran Gillen's a bad comic book writer. Have you read literally anything that he's written? Uh, Journey into Mystery. Very good. Young Avengers. Very good. Wick Div. Not my thing, but I hear a lot of people like it. <laughs> That's pretty good, too. Um, I just didn't like I, the first trade. It didn't... It didn't it's not for up. everybody, you know I what I mean. Felt, but you can, but you could see the the, the craft that goes into it. You know, I, what I mean? got it, I got it. But Wickdiv was one of the first comics to make me feel like, oh. <laughs> also, as someone who wasn't into the uh, '90s Britpop scene, Phonogram uh, meant nothing to me. <laughs> I okay, I could not understand it. I could tell it was good. I could tell Jamie McKelvey very talented could not connect to that particular comic the only 90s Britpop band i really know is oasis and you know not they not were a blur oasis. fan <laughs> i wasn't a blur fan i think i think uh track two is pretty good that's the oh one, zach right? no 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 come on i'll send you some mixes you, you you could go a little deeper on blur and i bet you you'd find some fun stuff maybe on park life um anyway we're getting off track i mean the uh, the really fun way this wraps up, I love that we really feel like after three issues, the Celestials are coming to destroy the planet, and Cyclops pretty much, like, talks them down? Yeah, that's very good. Cyclops walks up to a Celestial, uh, 
I believe it's Urshram the judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Celestials like, are kind of dumb, but I love them. I love Urshram yeah, the he's judge. Like, he's like, this is our house. Go home. <laughs> he said, we've got it. We've got Earth here. Don't worry about it. We know. We know. Uh, someone's screwed with your friend here. Uh, and I'm sorry about it. We had our good magnet friend uh, keep his entire body and all of his energy together. And we've put the head back. Again, real sorry about your friend. Can you not destroy my planet? <laughs> yeah, we forgot to mention that, that Magneto is serving as the Celestial's nervous system uh, for most of this arc. It's fantastic. It's a good use of giving Magneto something to do while definitely sidelining him because this team already has nine members and maybe that's too many. Yeah, he's not needed in the battle with Sinister. So, uh, and and this version of Sinister uh, comes back uh, later on in this run uh, during AVX. And I, I love it. I, I think there's a real strong case to be made that, that Hickman's version of Sinister is a straight line from, you know, the flare that we're, we're seeing here. I mean, there, there's not just a case to be made. Hickman has made that explicit. He has said uh, in his, oh, uh, okay. off, his off-panel interview, which if you haven't listened to it, you should go check it out. Uh, Off-panel's my favorite interview podcast. Uh, David Harper, who runs it, uh, does a great job with it. And he doesn't listen to other podcasts about comics, so I know he's never going to hear this, so no one tell him I said nice things about him. Uh, but <laughs> it's good. Uh uh, Hickman has said that, you know, he saw this Sinister, it finally worked, so he put him in Hawk's box, and he did turn him up to, like, 15, and he said, that was too far, I'm, go- <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm gonna dial that back a bit. Uh, he, he was a little much, and it was just to get a point across, but we're gonna, we're gonna pull that one back a little, little in the future. Uh, that was, I, I... I don't think I heard that part of the interview, but I, I remember listening to most of that. I, I, maybe I got to go back and, and re-listen to like the second half of that. Um, right, you can. It's a good one. I like it. Yeah, but. yeah absolutely. Um, all right. Do do we want to try and add this to our big list? Because this is a pretty big episode. We're going to hit 300 stories today. Oh, dang, dang, dang. If I would have remembered that we would have saved this one for the last story because it has sentimental value to me oh well oh well it's still you know it's still kind of an event here right well it's very what we do definitely have for 300 does make me laugh now so uh (laughs) we got that going for us which is nice anyway uh on our road to 300 stories uh which i know is something everyone's waiting with bated breath for uh, we have 297 on our list, ranking every X-Men story of all time. Uh, the number one story on our list is the Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, the number 50 story on our list is Excalibur, The Righteous Return of Alan Davis. Uh, which, mm-hmm. by the way, I just read all of the Alan Davis uh, uh, Captain Britain. Hey, Adam, it's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, I've just been kind of following along, and uh, it looks pretty awesome. Yeah, Alan Moore also writes most of it, and it's it's great. Uh, it's it's all good. Uh, Captain Britain's not so much of a character as much as he is a person who the plot revolves around, but it mm. really works, and I like it. It's also told in like because it was told in the compilations in British comics in like. 12-page increments or four-page stories or stuff. So each of the beats have an interesting pacing, which is fun to read when you're used to 22 pages. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a little more episodic, right? Yeah, it just uh, it just throws it off. Anyway, number one hundred is that time that Unis the Untouchable couldn't eat cake. Uh, <laughs> number one fifty is X Men slash Spider Man, uh, which I am. Oh, that's the time traveling. Oh, Sinister's in that one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two hundred is the first issue of X Men uh, ever of all time. Number two hundred and fifty is Alpha Flight one hundred six, uh, and the two hundred ninety seventh story on this list is the Draco. Hey Adam, how do you feel about this story compared to the Mister Sinister IVX story in uh, or not IVX AVX story, which is our number fifty nine on this 59. list? Fifty nine. Um. I, I was thinking about that before we came on, and I, I think I liked that better. Like, the... Um, the <laughs> I don't know why. I just think, like, that particular arc is just so almost silly in that it really pushes this idea of Sinister as a system to, like, total next-level weird. And I really loved that. Uh, you know, the idea of using Cannibal cannonball clones as cannonballs and you know he has this army of maddie priors with him um i i I really enjoyed that i i don't know if it's better necessarily but i think i liked it more how about you i liked it more and that's what's important uh okay a little bit farther down our list number 70 is the further adventures of cyclops and phoenix uh Mm. which is a sinister story yeah um i think i like this better than that but i mm, but then right below that's executioner song um but, but, but. i think we're in the right place though i do i do think this is a really strong three issues of of sort of like if you're gonna relaunch uncanny and you're gonna come up with a new team it, it's a it's a pretty strong way to do it yeah it got me it got me uh reading stuff so that's that's a something yeah, I don't think it's as good as um, Early Frost, Uncanny X-Men 314 at 69. Nice. We should just put it right there then. Okay, great. So this will be our new 70? Our new number 70 is everything is sinister. Everything. Everything is sinister. And, uh, okay, so... Let's go back in time a little bit to another version of Sinister that is a little bit more original recipe. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is the Sinister with the cane sugar. Uh, this is <laughs> the one with the cape. Uh, this is Mister Sinister from X Men Volume Two, Number Twenty Seven: A Song of Mourning, A Cry of Joy. Written by my personal best friend, Fibian Iciesa, with pencils by Richard Bennett. Uh, yeah, and we immediately get introduced to everybody's favorite mutant, Threnody. Okay, here's the thing. Let's talk about Threnody. Threnody is a major character in the X-Man series. Threnody... Uh, oh, it's an X-Man update. I've been waiting for one of these. X-Men update mini. <laughs> it's a this tiny is, one. This is this is just a small baby X-Man update <laughs> because uh, after Threnody disappears in X-Man, uh, she reappears pregnant, which is a plot point that isn't brought up again, though the only person she was uh, intimate with uh in that time that we know of is nate gray the x-man mm. 
Storylines never brought up again until, like, last year in Cullen Bunn's and uh, Mark Bagley's Deadpool Assassin. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, Threnody shows up with her evil demon baby, and I think Deadpool kills him? I don't know. Honestly, it was a really confusing story. Mm. It it Cullen Bunn's done some really solid Deadpool work. Yeah, well, this one wasn't uh, my favorite. Threnody... Yeah, Threnody as a design is pretty darn confusing. Um, so we're introduced to her as a, um, I guess, a homeless woman. But she's dressed in skin-tight clothes with her shirt popping open. and Yeah, let's talk about this shirt for a second. Oh, boy. My wife, and this is going somewhere. Please. My wife has a shirt that she was wearing this weekend that has, like, a little tie thing at the top. Like, okay. it's, it's like shoelaces. Yeah. I guess okay. it's lace, but it was, like, fabric material. Mm-hmm. And you can tighten that and loosen it. And it was a pain because we have an infant who likes to – I say infant. He's almost one year old, and I'm very excited about that. Happy birthday, <laughs> son. Uh Likes to pull on the strings one way or another as if it was a hoodie and you can't get it balanced. And that's really going to frustrate you, right? Yeah, yeah. Threnody has that only covering her entire bosom and thorax. Yeah, her whole front is uh, is wide open and um, she has mesh sleeves and she has chains dangling off of her and she has all these rings and she has sharp nails. And I'm like, okay, okay. like here we clearly have a character who's introduced within the first couple pages as um, somebody that has been enough of a public concern and or nuisance that the cops are on a first name basis with her. Um, And yet she is primed and ready to be dressed as this sort of like weird superhero and is objectified throughout this issue um, in some very awful Richard Bennett, keister front poses that are really weird yeah this is some 1993 art if there ever was one oh yeah oh yeah i mean it's it's very much a we're not the image guys but we're trying art (laughs) i don't even hate it that much it's just you know there's there's some definite weird stuff with the way that rogue is drawn the way that threnody is drawn um but all right so we've gotten generally who threnody is um, but the, the storyline here I think is, is pretty interesting and it's about beast at the hospital with, uh, of all characters, Infectia is back. What a wild pull. Oh yeah. Infectia from what? One and a half arcs of X factor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's dying of the legacy virus. Um, Rogue and Bobby are there and you know, we're definitely getting callbacks to that X factor area era. Yeah, she's dying, and a uh, doctor comes in to get a blood sample from her. Uh, Dr. Nathan Milbury. Mm-hmm. Uh, y'all y'all know about be. Dr. Nathan Milbury? He was he was part of Project Black Womb uh, with, <laughs> with, with uh, Charles Xavier's family. Uh, he also happens to be Mr. Sinister. Yeah, there's that. There's that. Uh, he is definitely... Uh, also, Mr. Sinister and the nursing staff's like, oh, yeah, that guy doesn't work here. What are you talking about, you weirdos? 
<laughs> so they yes. have to go they have to go find Mr. Sinister who has they, a secret lab. But it's not his secret lab, am I correct? Isn't there another doctor here that has this warehouse outfitted that he is helping patients of the legacy virus or is that still supposed to be Milberry's office? That's still supposed to be Milberry's office. You it might is. be okay. getting it confused with uh What's his name from the trading card issue of Uncanny X-Men? Or no, just regular X-Men. Who had the Legacy Virus Island. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. No, that's a completely different character. Um, Anyway, the only reason I ask is because Beast uh, interfaces with uh, the computer in this warehouse. And it is one of the most ridiculous things ever. You mean his virtual boy? Yeah, he basically puts on, like, a Cyclops visor and, like, goes into, I guess, VR to interact with 1990s DOS. I I don't know what he could possibly be looking at. Look, sometimes you just want to draw techno stuff. And Fabian Nicieza is a self-admitted guy for, hey, we need some techno babble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is visual techno babble, for sure. Um, Well, Sinister does show up, and... um, and Threnody apparently has the power to what kind of like explode when someone is about to die or is she going can, to die or she what? can absorb death energy mm. and pain and misery, uh, which makes her really useful as a tracker for mutants uh, who have the legacy virus because they're in a lot of pain. Yes, and Sinister, uh, after getting Beast's thumb stuck in his mouth, which is disgusting, um, (laughs) admits that he actually wants the legacy virus to be cured uh, just as much as the X-Men and and kind of insinuates that he might have it. Yeah, kind of. But at this point, Mr. Sinister was not yet revealed to have Thunderbird's mutant X-Gene, which is a plot point that <laughs> is so weird. And I was I explaining to that to someone the other day, and they were like, you're making that up. And I'm like, no, I'm not. It's in Hogspots. Did you, did you tell him, did you tell them that uh, Mr. Sinister explains this to us in a blind items list, uh, like a gossip no. brand. <laughs> I didn't get that far into it. Because I was just like, how got... we find that out is almost as good as what we find out. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, so, uh, you, uh, Sinister does get Beast to say, take Threnody, you know, take her. Like, she's better off with him. And uh, I, I love the little sweet ending of this issue, which is that Beast, all Infectio wants to do is just, just go outside in her last living moments and, and beast does that for her. And these are the kind of scenes that I think Fabian does really, really well in this mm-hmm. era. These sort of like tender, very human, uh, emotional beats. Um, but it, you know, it's an interesting issue that I don't know that a lot of this got followed up on, you know? Uh, I don't, I don't think it did. I mean, cause pretty soon after this, uh, you run into the Phalanx covenant and then mm-hmm. age of apocalypse. And then Fabian's not on the book. Uh, yeah, much, it, it's these much kind more. of interesting plot points that were leading to maybe the legacy virus, you know, having, I don't know, not just being this lingering concern that that, that hangs around for a decade. But um, well, that's that's what happens. The entire legacy virus stuff really does just get dropped. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And, th- and this is the kind of issue that makes it interesting, you know, and makes it something that, um, because it's also revealed in this issue that Quanin has, um, has the legacy virus as well. Uh, so, you know, we, it should have gone further, but you know, obviously the writers changed and, and it just kind of got dropped. So for what it is, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, the art leaves something to be desired. Where do you think this should go on the list? Well, what I'm looking for right now mm-hmm. uh, is a very similar story. And here it is. It's at number 145, X-Men Endangered Species, which is kind of this, uh, just stretched out into a bunch of uh, bunch of uh, backup stories uh, for the M-Day stuff. That's a good comparison. Um, I think that that is overall a better story arc than what we're reading here. Um, I would agree. Because it's starting to test Beast's ethics a little bit more interestingly. But you're right that this is the, the origin of that. I, I agree. You know what You know what? this story is also not better than? Uh, what's that? Uh, Ghost Rider Wolverine Punisher Hearts of Darkness at 163. It's not better than that. Uh, no, it is not better than that. Um... Very similar to number 74 on our list, X-Men 39, uh, Adam X the Extreme Ghost Camping. Yeah, I think so. I mean, in terms of the the emotional beats that it's able to hit, um, that's actually a really good place on the list. And yet, I don't know that this is as good as the Cocaine Wolverine story or Legion Quest. Uh, And I think Champions 12 is probably better. iMagneto is probably better. It feels a lot like Uncanny 300 to me. Like, this is exactly the right spot. Because I like this better than... Uh, below that's number 183, New Mutants, Truth or Death. Uh, and I yeah. like tru- I like this better than Truth or Death. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like it better than Nation X at 182? Nation X is just real long. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it's got Greg Landart. A lot of Greg Landart. Well, maybe this is our new 182 then. Yeah, right under 300? Perfect. I like that a lot. I'm glad that we're talking about Uncanny X-Men 300 on our road to 300. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, we've got one more sinister story to talk about here. We have. We have made it to the hot gates, folks. Uh, We are are at 300. And what could be more 300 than the story that was coming out as I was starting the Xavier Files Media Empire, which we all know and love today. And what story is that, Zach? Uh, That story is Extraordinary X-Men numbers one through five. Yes, by uh, Jeff Lemire and uh, illustrated by Humberto Ramos. It is. Um, So we talked about a sister book to this, Cullen Bunn's Uncanny X-Men, as I like to call it, Buncanny X-Men, last week. Um. (laughs) Yeah, we we were just there. And um, we were talking about this a little bit as well. So this is the story where we find out that after a book that came out on the same day, to be clear, was mm-hmm. Uncanny 600, where Cyclops has a very rewarding, like, peaceful march on the Lincoln Memorial in the National Mall in Washington, D.C., and gives a big speech about mutant human unity and, like, how maybe we should all just, like, not suck Sure. Yeah, it's that rushed ending to uh, 
to Bendis's run that is somewhat peaceful, right? It's hopeful. It is. And then this happened also the same day in which we found out that everything sucks. Uh, the X-Men are hated and feared because of some mysterious thing that Cyclops did. Uh, and also that there is a murder cloud that is not only going to kill mutants and make them super sick with the M-Pox, uh, but also sterilizes them in a plot point that they keep hitting on as a big deal. But after this thing, they realize, oh man, maybe that plot point sucks and we shouldn't talk about it. And they never talk about it again. Yeah, I, I think I just pointed out um, the other day that that was actually, um, I mean, it's not Hickman's fault that editorial took it in this big direction, but it is kind of funny that Hickman did create the Terrigen Mist uh, bomb uh, that gets set off in the Infinity uh, event. I think a lot of people forget about that, that that's the origin of this. Um, but yeah, it is incredibly annoying to uh, go from unity speech at the end of Uncanny 600 to Cyclops is an absolute fascist monster and we can't believe what he did. Um, would that turns out to be nothing? <laughs> it here's what I'll say, and we'll talk about this more when we actually cover that story. In a vacuum, the four issues of Death of X are very good, and I think tell a really solid and poignant story. In the mm. larger context of what X Men had been building up for a while, uh. It sucks. It really just blows. Regardless of where this ends up, I think we were setting up some things that uh, they just could not back up um, later on. This is such an era of editorial mismanagement um, where you, you clearly have ideas being thrown around Um you know, the, the Xavier Mansion is in limbo. There is a murderous Terrigen mist cloud. And we have this fun lineup, I I guess. Um, you know, we're, we're changing the costumes. Everybody has beards now. Okay, um, hold on. Don't besmirch <laughs> Colossus's very good beard. Nightcrawler's goatee thing, whatever. He gets a better beard in X-Men Red. Uh, Colossus's skin fade with a beard speaks to me on a deep level. It's a great look. It's a great it's so look. I, I like uh, the designs of these characters. I like Ramos's art here as well. Um, I'm not a big Ramos guy, but that's that's on me. Okay, you know, but th- there are there are some fun elements here that uh, that Lemire is playing around with. Like I love that there's this sort of hijacked giant uh, gentle sentinel flying around. Um, I think what weighs this down a little bit is um, we're spending a lot of time in these three issues and we'll get to the sinister stuff in a second, but we're spending five issues, a, but yeah, Oh, five issues, excuse me. Um, we're spending a lot of time getting old man Logan back on this team and connecting with teen Gene, And it just seems like it doesn't need to be that long. I, I don't, I don't know. Did you have that issue with this? Yeah. So, the plot is really stretched out over these five issues. Yeah. Because it's, you know, establish the new status quo, which is the X-Men live in hell now, and the Earth is trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got that. I don't like it, but we've got it. Second thing you have to establish. Hey, old man Logan lives here now, and we're all going to have to just 
accept that for the next four years. <laughs> Which I don't mind. Actually, the Jeff Lemire Old Man Logan series is pretty good. And what I've read of Ed Brisson's Dead Man Logan, uh, pretty solid stuff. Oh, I love Lemire's uh, Old Man Logan. You know, it, it just does it really need to take that long to go, oh, look, there's an old Wolverine and now he's on the team. Like, no, it doesn't. Um, the the other central part of this story, which does involve Mr. Sinister, is really trying to shoehorn in the inhuman stuff. And it's just like X-Men fans do not want this. Um, he's experimenting with uh, Scott's DNA and combining it with Inhumans DNA to see if they can defeat the Terrigen Mists by creating a new subspecies, I guess. And he does it this weird way where he captures Nightcrawler first. And Nightcrawler in this book, a lot of stuff can be chalked up to editorial. This one I'm chalking up to Ed Lemire, or Jeff Lemire. <laughs> Jeff Lemire, who is legitimately one of the comic book writers I will buy pretty much anything with his name on it. Uh, Jeff Lemire doesn't do a great job with this version of Nightcrawler, who is just someone who quotes the Bible all the time. Yeah, and also sidelines him for big chunks of this, which, I, I don't know. He gets his tail cut off. They put it on ice. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, there, and like I said, he he's playing around with some fun ideas here. You can tell he's trying to play the long game by introducing Sapna um, right off the bat in the first issue. Um, but you know, for for all the nice moments with like Glob and Anale in in the battlefield, it's. I, I don't know. It just feels directionless to a certain extent. Yeah, because the whole thing ends up in a big fight uh, with Sinister's clone of Cyclops, who's a bad design, Umberto. He just wow. didn't do good on that one. Yeah, he's basically Scott with pants and an Anale arm, like, <laughs> and then turns into, like, I don't know, something. He turns into a kaiju Yeah, by the end of this. They have a big fight in New York City, and then Storm gives a big impassioned speech saying, Hey, we're the X-Men. We'll always protect you, but don't freaking cross us. We're having a rough time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and everybody goes back to Limbo, and uh, then, then we get the series started um, with this interesting, weird, like, grandfather-granddaughter vibe between uh, Old Man Logan and Teen Gene, and uh, okay... I just, I, there's stuff here that's interesting and enjoyable to a certain extent, but I, I'm, this is not a fave <laughs> as we said last time, last week with the, uh, the bun uncanny, like this era just presents so many issues. It's just, it's not up to the level that I know this entire creative team can do. I would love to see Jeff Lemire get a legitimate shot at writing X-Men the way he wants to write X-Men. Mm -hmm. I think it would be fascinating. I love Jeff Lemire's stuff. It's so good. This comic is bad. This comic upsets me. This comic sets up a status quo that made it real hard to get excited about the X-Men books. They were stuck in this rut of everything sucks all the time for the X-Men, and they just needed a friggin' win. And we had to wait until Hox Pox to get that win in a, a book that was legitimately designed to say, 
we we gotta let the x-men have one here guys it's been a long time (laughs) well and i think that's uh, a big part of why this this big chunk of x-men which i think is unfairly like sort of uh squished together is called the extinction era now you know that that's sort of what it was was dubbed um in the in the promotional materials leading up to hawksbox and i i think there have been many more highlights uh after the ivx stuff goes down um but it overall it all points to sort of like this 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 directionlessness you know that this this idea of feeling lost and even just the central conceit of like all of the books in this time in this part of this launch are talking about a plot point that clearly had not been discussed and or decided behind the scenes as to what did Cyclops do? You can, yeah. you can tell if you read the, 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 the different titles, no one knows what he did. They all have to refer to it in various levels of, uh, you know, how horrible it is, but no one knows what that is because they had not made that decision. So you can tell there's no forward planning, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's rough. I'm very, I, I would love to, uh, get Charles soul or, uh, or Jeff Lemire on the horn at some point, just to talk about what in the world was going on. Uh, because I think it's a fascinating timeline from a meta perspective and i hate reading about it there's good stories in these books there's highlights in extraordinary there's still like spots where lemire shines uh but this is a rough book to revisit i did not love it Mm -hmm. yep uh but it is when i started writing about x-men which sure is a time (laughs) Uh, well, last week we put the Cullen Bunn Uncanny X-Men Volume 4, numbers 1 through 4, in at 224. Um, how do you think this stacks up against that? I think art-wise, it's better. Okay, I agree. I think plot-wise, they're about on the same foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this buns is a little too uh, wild for its own good. This one is dragging out a plot that doesn't need to be five issues. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would put this uh, lower than where we had that last story. Um, that's where my gut is. I probably like the no more humans OJN better than this. Yep. I think I like the two issues of uh, Jim Lee Mojoverse at two thirty-two. Um, uh, y- better, you know. I you know I love the Ultimate Sinister story better than this. <laughs> yeah, that's in at two thirty-three. Do you know um, what that one's got, Adam? 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 Do you know what that one's got? I, uh, I, I want to tell you. I want to tell you in case in case you or our listeners don't know. Do you know what that one has? Uh, please refresh everyone's memory, Zach. <laughs> Adam, in that story. <laughs> We learn what Charles Xavier's greatest weakness is. And what is his greatest weakness, Zach? Stairs! <laughs> uh, it's very bad, but I love it. Oh is this better or worse than Colossus' bloodline? 
All right, I'm gonna put it ahead of that. Um, okay, I think that's a good good choice too. Yeah, I don't think this is. I don't think it's better than like the G Nation plus Iceman and Rogue Road Trip stuff at two thirty five. I I would probably give it the slight edge over Operation Zero Tolerance. Okay, I'm fine with that. So that would make it our new two thirty six. That does make it two thirty six. Uh, with apologies to Jeff Lemire. Uh, extraordinary X-Men one through five. Hey, we know just based on some interviews that he was not super happy with all of this. So, um, I don't think he'd be particularly offended. Yeah. Go, go read sentient or ascender. I haven't read the first trade of ascender yet. I've borrowed it and I'm very excited about it. Yeah. That looked really good. I haven't read that. Have, did you read descender? No, no, but I, I always see, um, who does the art on that? It's um uh, that's Dustin Dustin Nguyen. Yeah. I, I it looks beautiful. Yeah, uh it rules. You would love it. Uh it's about a robot. I love robot. robots. Love them. Yeah, it's I, I go get on Hoopla and get the full uh Descender and just read that Adam. That's your homework. That's all of your guys' homework for the re- read Descender. I like that. That sounds like a good plan. It is a good plan. Well, Zach, hey, we've, everyone. We made it to 300 stories. We did. We've we've completed our road. Uh, our watch has ended. Uh, nope, that's not what they say. What do they say in that thing? What, uh, the, in Game of Thrones? No, no, 300. Uh, besides uh, the we're, we're back to 300 again? I, I mean, don't, we, I don't we're remember. We're at 300. We fought in the shade. They tried to take our weapons. But unlike the mighty Spartans, we prevailed. <laughs> is that the dialogue? I don't remember. I mean, some of those are just historical quotes, but okay. anyway, Let me give it to you. Anyway, uh, thanks Trent for uh, supporting us on Patreon and supporting this episode. Uh, if you want to be like him, go over to Patreon again. We are going to be making changes to the Patreon soon because y'all supported the show so much that we don't have open slots <laughs> for new episodes, which poses a problem. Yeah, for a long time. So we're we're figuring that out. We will sort it out. I just haven't yet. That's fair. Uh, I just have to think about it. I've been busy. They've put out a lot of X-Men comics that I go over to XavierFiles.com and I edit very good articles about them, including last week when we had articles about X-Men number two and Fallen Angels written by my good friend uh, Arthur Stacey. Hey, yeah. Uh, Tony Thornley and I are are taking on those missing lobsters. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As of recording, I haven't finished reading writing that piece yet. <laughs> yeah, as your editor, I've got to kind of let's we got to finish up this podcast so you can do that. <laughs> I'm on it. It's happening. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Also, after we finish up this podcast, I'm going to be recording the next episode of Boku no X Anime, uh, the X Men Anime podcast, where we talk about the X Men Anime with me and Luz Bianca. Uh, it should have already gone up, but it's episode three. It's called Armor, and guess what? The show's finally got good characters in it now because Armor and Emma Frost show up, and it rules. Adam, Adam, did did you know that uh, Kick is in the show? You oh, know Kick, right? Yeah, I'm familiar with Kick. Yes, y- you know in the show, Kick is a uh, half-bodied robot U-man uh, who does look like Geneva from Final Fantasy VII. Wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> nope. His best friend is Sublime, who looks like Mad Eye Mooney. Oh, that's so weird. Okay, well it's so now I know wild. I'm tuning in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about other stuff, 
we're figuring it out, guys. You don't need spoilers. Just run with it. Uh, but until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!